0: Amen. Everybody said amen. How are you doing today? Good, good. 2015, here we are. What's what's the date? Is this the the 11th? How many of you have had a good start to the year so far? Good. So all your New Year's resolutions still working out for you? How's that diet coming? or your exercise plan, or how many of you messed up on your diet plan by January 2nd? (laughs) Yeah, and all the stuff we plan to do. Well, it is great to get a good start, and we thank God for good beginnings. That's why we prayed for uh, these little ones this morning, just to ask God to give them a good start to life. But how many know it's a completely different thing to have a good finish? I'm gonna ask you a couple of honest questions this morning. Um, and you don't have to give answer to me on these questions, but in the quiet of your own heart, I'm, I'm going to challenge you to reflect honestly. And the first question is this: Where are you in your walk with the Lord today? Where are you in your walk with the Lord today? And more specifically, what is different about your spiritual journey today from what it was this time last year? What's changed? What's different? Are you just treading water? Or can you clearly identify that Christ is being formed in you? Talking about you, not your neighbor, not your spouse. Talking about you. Here we are at the start of a new year with all the promise and hopes for a, a great year lying in front of us. And I'm, I don't shy away from challenging you today, even as I have challenged myself to look, take a good look, not so much at our spiritual past, but to take a very good, honest look at our spiritual present where are we today? Now, why, why would I even do that? Why would I bother to, to ask you that? It's very simply because I know so very well how easy it is to get into a spiritual rut. I know how it is to just go through the motions, and we just get into a season where we just attend services, and maybe we're even faithful in the giving of tithes and offerings, but we're just doing that stuff that that we know to do, and yet all the while we're living in this world and we can be affected, strongly affected by the spirit of the age or even the decadence of our culture as we are rubbing shoulders with, with people day after day, or we can be affected by comparing ourselves to the world comparing ourselves uh, uh, to the, the church to the world or comparing ourselves with other christians all of those extremely dangerous and unhealthy things to do and we tend to do that particularly that comparison thing simply to deflect the very direct question that we should be aiming right at our own soul which is this is christ being formed in me that is the question that needs to be directed at our at our soul And like you, I stand on the the front edge of this new year and with a great sense of anticipation for what the Lord is going to do in us. I really feel the Lord has something distinctive for us as a church and as a people as we go into, into this new year and all kinds of reasons for that in my own heart. But regardless of my spiritual past, what is the condition of my spiritual present for the younger believers Are you maintaining the integrity of the truth you have received? Those of you who are new in the Lord, are you maintaining whatever it is God has given you to date up to this point? Are you maintaining the integrity of that truth? For those of you who are somewhere in the middle of the journey, have you succumbed to compromise? Has your zeal for the things of God and your intensity for Him and your passion for Him diminished? And for those of you who are seasoned believers, Are you finishing well? Are you remaining positioned to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? And I bet I know what some of you are already thinking. You're already thinking, I knew I shouldn't have come to church today. He's going to hit us this hard. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Chronicles, starting with chapter 14. And I'm going to attempt to deliver something I feel the Lord would have us today, that actually... (laughs) Spans three chapters. I'm waiting for that collective groan to come over the congregation. Second Chronicles. We're going to take a jet tour through Second Chronicles 14, 15, 16. Yes, I know what's happening today, but I'm going to do it very quickly. If you will stay with me, um, I'm feeling the pressure from you. I want you to know, yes, I feel it. You're, you're emoting it strongly to me. I got it. If you read earlier then our text today which starts in second chronicles 14 if you read earlier that you'll read of king abijah and how this man had 14 wives and if you read second chronicles 13 you'll see that he was became a very powerful man he took 14 wives to to himself became the father of 22 sons and 16 daughters 38 children altogether But it was one of those sons that I am going to direct your attention to today as we take this quick cruise through 2 Chronicles chapters 14, 15, 16. And I would admonish you just to keep your Bibles open, to keep me honest here and see how we're going to sail through it. You might even catch a little verse that I'm not even going to directly give attention to. One of Abijah's 22 sons became the next king who began to do right. In the sight of the Lord, this son who steps onto the throne, he came unto it as we understand at a very young age, and his name is King Asa. King Asa is who we're talking about today. And this young man serves not only for a few years, but he serves for a very long time. And I want us to notice first this morning how well he did in his reign as the king. I'm going to give quite a bit of attention to all of the right choices, all of the good decisions that he made. But more importantly, the message that we have for today that we're trying to deliver to you that you'll see toward the end of this message is how he finished. Many of you will recall the scandal that broke the news in November 2011 at Penn State University. As a result of the sex abuse scandal, the winningest coach of all time, Joe Paterno, had his statue removed. A 900-pound, 7-foot statue was taken down of the winningest coach of all time. Records broken constantly. But when it comes to the end of his life and the end of his career, his statue comes down. And they said they've put it in a storage unit. And now it's just simply gathering dust. How do you end that way? How does that happen? How do you start so well and continue so well being hailed as the winningest coach and end with dust on your statue in a storage room? All I know is this, that when Jesus calls me home, I want to finish this thing well. How about you, church? We've already made reference in the service today about Andre Crouch and the contributions he made to the church. There's a man who finished well. He finished well. <clears throat> just last night, Becky and I were driving somewhere and we received a phone call that another great in Christian music, Larry Goss, passed away just yesterday yesterday afternoon many of you will not know that name if you were involved in choral music or christian music of any kind he goes way 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 back i don't know if kenneth and martha cummings are here today but they would remember so well the macduff brothers some of you remember the macduff brothers and i remember the first orchestrations i heard of larry goss were for those old macduff brothers records years ago oh they were they were magnificent larry was a unique man in the last 50 years he too has been one of the greats of Christian music, not a not a a stage artist himself, but as an arranger and orchestrator, I will tell you unashamedly. I learned how to orchestrate by listening to Larry Goss records for years and years and years. But those record players with needles on them, I would listen to a phrase and go back and forth and back and forth and run to the piano. How to do that? How to do that? And taught myself through listening to what Larry Goss was doing. He had he created an, unusual harmonies. He developed a sound that nobody else had done. And so it has been quite impactful on me that, that Larry has passed away. He was a mentor to me. I actually, the first recording I was involved in when I was 19 years ago, a couple of years ago, um, I um, was with Larry at Lefevre Sound Studio in Atlanta, Georgia, Larry and his brothers. And uh, so we go a long way way back. And though I only was with him about a half a dozen times, we, we had a certain contact that we remained. And he was always complimenting my career as it came along, and I said, oh, I don't even say that. I learned everything I know from you, you." and he'd been such a wonderful friend. Here's the interesting thing, that the last time I saw Larry was in November of 2010. And it was in those three months—October, November, December—that we I was becoming aware that transition was going to happen here at Bethesda, and I was having my own struggle with that. My biggest struggle was knowing that the the, the uh, pastorate of Des Evans was was probably coming to an end, and I've been involved with that for so long, and I was wrestling in my own heart so so profoundly. And it was in November. I was in Nashville at a. At a recording studio complex, there's seven studios in this one complex. I was in one room about to start an orchestra session. and Larry Goss, who struggled with throat cancer, and I knew he was failing and becoming so weak, he was to be in another room that day working. He worked until last Sunday. I'll tell you about that in a second. But, but uh, he, I was ready to start the session standing in the, uh, in the control room. And I look over and I see the door opens and, and someone's being escorted with a coat pulled all around them and he's being escorted in the room, and that his escort says, is Dan Smith in the room? And I said, oh, I'm right here. And he said, Larry Goss would like to speak to you, and I hadn't seen him in years. And so he walked over to me, and because his, he was struggling with throat cancer, he pulled me right up his mouth to my ear so I could hear him, because he couldn't talk above a whisper. And I hadn't seen him in so long. And he said, he said I just want you to know I love you, and I'm so proud of you. And, and then he pushed my face back, and he put his hands on my cheek, and he said this to me. He said, and I feel I need to say to you, do not reject what the Lord is bringing right in front of you. And he turned around and walked out the door. Oh my God. Nobody knows what's going on. Nobody, how, did, how did he know that? And he never, he never knew what that meant to me. He never knew the power of those words to me. I'm telling you that because I'm telling you there was a man who finished well. Who finished well. And these are men who I know today are hearing, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, church, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. We want to hear him say. It matters what Jesus says. It doesn't matter what everybody else says. We want to hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. But here's the reality that doesn't happen for everybody. How does it happen? That someone can be in ministry for three or four decades. I'm going to be honest with you here today. How does it happen that someone can be in ministry for three or four decades? They can be singing, be preaching, be ministering, be sitting in a church, be singing in a choir for years and years and years. And the last few years things go wrong. We've all seen it happen. Well, this is the story of Asa that we're going to look at. Look with, at this with me as we fly through these three chapters. Second Chronicles 14 starting with verse 2. Asa did what was pleasing and good in the sight of the Lord his God. This is always great for the kings. It's a great way for kings to start. When you see this in the books of Kings and Chronicles, when you see this phrase, you know some good stuff is about to happen. And that's exactly what happens with King Asa. Some amazing things happen. And I want you to begin to to get the list of all the right choices this king made. Lots of right choices, and for how long he did it. Verse 3. He removed the foreign altars and the pagan shrines. He smashed the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. These were idols. The Asherah poles were idols related to the worship of the fertility goddess Asherah. He commanded the people of Judah to seek the Lord. There's a king for you. Command the people to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his law and his command. In other words, he said, you got to show up at prayer meeting, which is on Sunday night at 6 o'clock <laughs> in the youth hall tonight. <laughs> Verse 5 Asa also removed the pagan shrines as well as the incense altars from every one of Judah's towns. So Asa's kingdom enjoyed a period of grace. Look at that. Verse 6. During those peaceful years, he was able to build up the fortified towns throughout Judah. No one tried to make war against him at this time, for the Lord was giving him rest from his enemies. How many of you would like to have some rest from your enemies? Get them off your back for a while, huh? What he did was so powerful... That because they sought the Lord, God said, I'm going to give you rest from your enemies. What a wonderful thing. Verse 7, Asa told the people of Judah, let us build towns and fortify them with walls and towers and gates and bars. The land is still ours because we sought the Lord our God and He has given us peace on every side. So they went ahead with these projects and brought them to completion. What we see here is that God allowed them to prosper because they were seeking Him, making right choices, doing this thing right. But how many of you know that in the Christian life, and I know this is a testimony of some here, that with every good time that happens, and thank God for those good times, it's very possible there's a difficult time not far away. How many know that's the truth? Have you ever noticed, church, that as soon as you become just a little bit comfortable as soon as you get it all together, and you've got some traction, you got some rhythm going, this thing's working, how many of you know it's amazing to see how God will begin to test your faith right then? That's the way it happens. And for Asa, it didn't take long that God was going to begin to test his faith, and it was not just a normal battle. Look at verse 9. It was a million Ethiopians coming after him. Got it going on? Working great. Here comes the battle. It's a million Ethiopians. In fact, the Bible is clear to show us in verse 8. It was about a two-to-one odds. Asa had a little over half million. They had a million. Something like that. And one of the great prayers of the Old Testament is here in verse 11. You need to note this as one of the great prayers. It wouldn't be a bad prayer for us to memorize when Asa calls out to God as he's looking at the odds that are in front of him. Two-to-one odds. It's a prayer that all of us ought to have on the the tip of our tongues to pray at any time. Verse 11. Then Asa cried out to the Lord his God, O Lord, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we trust in you alone. It is in your name that we have come against this vast horde. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. That, my friend, is a great prayer. Anytime you recognize that you don't have anything else going on to offer, you don't have what it takes on your own. Lord, Only you. no one but you can do that. That positions you properly before the Lord. It puts you right in the place that you are supposed to be. Your alignment is right. And guess what? God honors that. No one but you. Nobody but you. I can't tell you how many times I have had to say, and I know you have too, Lord, if you don't show up, this thing ain't going to happen. In my own work as a musician and an orchestrator looking at a computer screen, whether it's something I'm supposed to write. It looks like this sometimes. What am I going to put in that bar? I don't know. Lord, if you don't show up, if you don't drop something from heaven in my heart and in my head right now, ain't going to be no music. Only you, no one but you. And God puts us in those moments in the uniqueness of your life, the uniqueness of your calling that we can rely on nobody else. And the truth is, some of you are right there today. And you need to be praying that prayer, oh God, nobody but you, but we're going to count on you. There's not a number in your phone book, in your contacts that you can call on your cell phone. There's not a number on your speed dial. There's not a a pastor you can call. There's not a person alive that can help you. But you recognize my help comes from the Lord, and he's the maker of the heavens and the earth. And that's what happens with Asa. Asa calls on God. And the Bible says that the Lord defeats them in verse 12. He plunders them in verse 14, and God begins to establish them in verse 15. And we see, guess what? Things are rolling for Asa. It's happening. The statue's still up, folks. Asa's the man. Things are going incredibly well. And then we move to chapter 15, 2 Chronicles 15. Then the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Oded, and he went out to meet King Asa as he was returning from the battle. Listen to me, Asa, he shouted. Listen, all you people of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord will stay with you as long as you stay with him. Whenever you seek him, you will what? Find him. But if you abandon him, he will abandon you. This is a word to Asa to help him. Verse 3. For a long time Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach them, and without the law to instruct them. But whenever they were in trouble and turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought Him out, they found Him. During those dark times, it was not safe to travel. Problems troubled people on every land. Nation fought against nation and city against city, for God was troubling them with every kind of problem. But as for you, Asa, be strong and courageous, for your work will be rewarded. And the Bible says in verse 8, look at this church, verse 8. When Asa heard this message from Azariah the prophet, he took courage. And guess what he did? He removed all the detestable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin and in the towns he'd captured in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which stood in front of the the entry room of the Lord's temple. Now look what happens. Verse 9. Then Asa called together all the people of Judah and Benjamin, along with the people of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, who had settled among them. For many from Israel had moved to Judah during Asa's reign when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. Many of them had defected from Israel because Israel had backslidden at this time. And so they said, if God is with you and not in Israel, we're hanging out where the presence of God is. That's where we want to be. That's how powerful the presence of God was in Asa's life. The people were literally leaving certain tribes of Israel just to go be where he was. And it keeps getting better. I'm telling you, this guy can do no wrong. He keeps making right choice after right choice after right choice. And the Bible says in verse 12 that in the 15th year of his reign, verse 12, then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all of their heart and soul. This man is leading them with everything they have to seek the Lord. He made it a law that you had to seek the Lord. Hello. And in fact, he was so serious about you showing up for prayer meeting. Look at verse 13. They agreed that anyone who refused to seek the Lord, the God of Israel, would be what? Whether young or old, man or woman. Now that's probably not the best way to get people to prayer meeting today. But I love his passion for prayer and how he gave himself completely to it. And then look what began to take place. The people began to shout. You know, church, I'm just praying that a holy shout comes over us one of these days. Not this little, hallelujah. Our worship leaders admonish us to shout before the Lord. It's not for a game's sake. It's not, for, it's not for show. It's not, for, But Scripture says, Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Shout unto God. Verse 14. They shouted out their oath of loyalty to the Lord with trumpets blaring. Rick Vaughn? With trumpets blaring and ram's horns sounding. Dale Muska? Church, where is your loyalty today? I don't want to get too far sidetracked on this because I've got to keep moving. Where is your loyalty today? And what have you done to make it abundantly clear that there is not a shadow of a doubt about your loyalty to the Lord your God? What are you doing to remove any question? I love the fact that it was not just a shout. It was a shout of loyalty to God. Lord, we're yours. We are yours. Completely yours. So all of this is going on. I want you to see this picture. Momentum is there. Every right decision, every right move is being made. And then one of the most difficult battles that Asa would have to face shows up. He has to deal with Mima. After they've been seeking God, he's destroyed a million Ethiopians. And now his own grandmother is setting up idols in the temple. Some versions say it's his mother, but you dig a little deeper on that, okay? Isn't that just like the devil? You're doing everything you can for God. You're emptying yourself out. You are absolutely pouring yourself out. Being diligent to do what you know will please the Lord, and your own family comes against you. That's just like the the devil to do that. Frankly, I think that's harder than a million Ethiopians. Look at verse 16. King Asa even deposed or removed his grandmother, Maacah, from her position as queen mother. Wow. Is he committed to righteousness or what? Because she had made an obscene Asherah pole. He cut down that obscene pole, broke it up, and burned it in the Kidron Valley. And he removes his own grandmother from that position. Friends, that's a difficult thing to do. And God honors this man. And the statue is still up. And the man's on a roll for God. 35 years. He is slam dunking everything. Until we come to chapter 16. The last five years of his life. Something happens. There's a man who's a great who pastors a great church in this country. He's been there about 25 years. He says, when I first went to the church, it was the hardest years of ministry of my life. Everything was difficult. I think if you talk to Des and I about the late 70s, we understand something about how difficult it can be. He says, this pastor though that I'm speaking of says, as I'm getting up in age, I'm realizing in these final years, Now that he's been there about 25 years or so, he says, with the offerings that are up, the attendance that's out the door, we're being listened to on the Internet by even more people that are in the building. Tens of thousands are listening to them every Sunday. And he says this, I've realized that the beginning years were the hardest, but that these final years are the most dangerous. And this is what happens in chapter 16 to Asa. Please follow this closely. Verse 1. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, King Baasha of Israel invaded Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from entering or leaving King Asa's territory in Judah. Asa responded by removing the silver and gold from the treasuries of the temple of the Lord and the royal palace. He sent it to King Ben-Hadad of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus along with this message. Let there be a treaty between you and me like the one between your father and my father. See, I'm sending you silver and gold. Break your treaty with King Baasha of Israel so that he'll leave me alone. Then Hadad agreed to King Asa's request and sent the commanders of his army to attack the towns of Israel. They conquered the towns of Ijen, Dan, Abel, Beth, Mecha, and all the store cities of Naphtali. As soon as Baasha of Israel heard what was happening, he abandoned his project of fortifying Ramah and he stopped all work on it. Great. Wonderful. Victory, I guess. But now look at this church, verse 7. At that time, Hanani, the seer, the prophet, came to King Asa and told him, because you have put your trust in the king of Aram, Instead of the Lord your God, you missed your chance to destroy the army of the king of Aram. Don't you remember what happened to the Ethiopians and Libyans and their vast army with all of their chariots and charioteers? At that time, you relied on the Lord, and He handed them over to you. For the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully Committed to him. What a fool you have been. So from now on, you will be at war. Well, the king could have dismissed Hanani as a religious fanatic who was meddling in things he wouldn't understand. He could have given the prophet that old line about, you know, I'll take the matter under advisement. He could have thanked the prophet, prophet politely but sent him away, but he didn't do any of those things. Asa was cut to the quick by the prophet's words, and he had Hanani thrown into the dungeon. Of course, Asa could have done what other kings had done before him. He could have repented. He didn't do that. This king who had shown such zeal for the Lord, at the end, let sin take control. And church, here's the part that brings fear to my own heart. This is the part that is almost Galatians 3.3, where Galatians says, how foolish can you be? after starting your Christian lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Such is the story of Asa. 36 years. 36 years he's praying down heaven. 36 years he's chopping down idols. 36 years he's hearing words from the Lord. the last five years, a little neighbor comes and begins to start fortifying a city. Instead of relying upon God, he goes into his pockets the treasuries of the church, pays off an enemy king to take care of his problem, and now the statue is coming down because he starts to use silver and gold as his answer instead of calling on the name of the Lord. And the deceptive thing is, listen to this so carefully if you hear not one other word I've said today. The deceptive thing is that Asa wins that war, but he wins it with an enemy king. He wins it without praying, and therefore he wins it without God. And there is a lesson in this for us, church, that is this. What is it that you are calling success? By whose standard are you measuring the work of your hands and the actions of your heart? Put in simple language, if the rest of the world says, yay, and God says, boo, that is not success. But if the rest of the world, if the rest of the church... If all the culture around you says, boo, but God says, yes, and you obey that, that is success. The question to us and the question to Dan Smith, as you go blazing into 2015, why are you not more often on your knees seeking the Lord about His direction? What on earth has gotten a hold of you to think that you could do any of this on your own whatsoever. Why are you trying to figure it out? Why are you even trying to rely on your own experience or your own resource? Finigling your way around on your own, when all the while the sovereign of the universe is standing by, waiting to hear you, to answer your call, and to give you exactly what you need. Oh God, give us eyes for only one. Give us ears to hear only one. And the church said, and the church said, I have a way to illustrate this today that's a bit unusual. I'm racing as fast as I can, folks. Do you want to hear the word of the Lord today? Something's happening to the Smith family. We leave at the end of this month to travel to another part of the planet, pretty much the opposite side of the planet because our daughter is getting married. <clears throat> I checked with one of the long-time members of this church, and it's been just shy of 60 years since this church has had a pastor's daughter get married, so it's time. <clears throat> we are very, very excited, and um, she's marrying a very, a very fine young man who's a captain in the In the U.S. Army, he's currently in Afghanistan. He will meet us at this designated location. And we joyfully welcome him into our our family. But we've been going through the process of, even though it's a very small, private, personal affair, as is the choice of both the bride and the groom. It's the way they wanted it. We've still been going through the process of some of the things you got to have. you got to have a wedding dress, right? And so, Becky and her mother no, Sheridan and her mother Becky, sorry, got that backwards, Sheridan and our daughter and her mother uh, Becky have been over at several bridal shops, and they finally, they went to a couple on their own, then I get the call, dad has to come in and kind of, you know, help in the process, and so I showed up at this place in Dallas. Sheridan walked in with a preconceived idea, you know, I don't want this, I don't want that, you know, I want to keep it simple, I want da-da-da-da, it was just, you know, she had this, she knew the things, more what she didn't want than what she did want. So, she tried on what seemed like 70 or 80 <laughs> dresses, <laughs> they all looked the same after a while. <clears throat> and um, she's tired, it's the end of the day, the ladies helped us, and I see another young lady walking down this hall who's going through the same process we are, and the dress, something about it. it struck me, it ended up that young lady selected something else more suited for her. And I said to the lady helping us, I said, Can, can my daughter try on that dress? And Sheridan said, Dad, that's, that's not at all what. And so I said, Baby, just try it on. She puts it on, and I'm telling you, the heavens opened. <laughs> Angel choir started singing. Little doves were flying around. And you can literally, on this iPad right here, I recorded watching her walk down down the little hall that they had. You can hear me going, my God in heaven. It was a stunning moment for me. Well, guess what? That ends up being the dress. <clears throat> and she, what's interesting is also on this video that I took, you hear her walking down to seeing, you know, how it feels to walk in it. And she's walking back. Someone says, oh, young lady, that... That dress is lovely on you, giving her some kind of a compliment. And you can hear her turn. She goes, thank you. It's everything I said I didn't want. (laughs) But she chose it. Probably because Daddy liked it. But okay, she chose it. I don't know why she chose it. She chose it because it's stunning on, on her. But I got to thinking about that. Have you ever been in a situation that's everything you said you didn't want? (laughs) Some of you are there today. You're in some kind of a deal that's everything you said, it was not at all what you designed. Everything you said you didn't want, but it's perfect for you. It's perfect. That even though you're in the midst of something that you had pre-designed, it wasn't going to be, you know, you knew what it was supposed to, and this is not it at all. It doesn't look like it at all. And yet it's the right thing for you. Well, we leave that place, and guess what? This dress that Daddy likes so much. it blew the budget wide open. Guess what? <laughs> How many know it 's always more expensive than you were planning on, okay so we 're in the car on the way home, and i 'm still in the afterglow of the wonderful moment, and <clears throat> Mama is it thought it was lovely too, but mama 's kicking into practical mode, you know, and she 's aware that the budget's been blown and. You know, frankly, I didn't care. Mom was trying to keep the family in, you know, in line and doing the right thing, as she does really very well. And... um so I'm driving, Becky's on the passenger seat and Sheridan's in the back and we're discussing this. And so Becky's thinking, yes, it's a beautiful dress, but you know, this is going to be, there's only going to be like six of us there. And it's just small and it just seems, you know, it's, it's a lot of money and, you know, and she's, her practical things start kicking in. And I had to say, Becky, a wedding dress is not a practical purchase. When's the last time you bought a wedding dress for a practical purchase? But it is what it is. And so she's just, you know, going through all this. And you, go, you know, it would be different if, if we were going to have a large church wedding and you're not. It would be different if, if it was going to be, you know, if, you know, if the, the friends were going to see it. And she's speaking as a proud mama. She'd like everybody to see her in this dress and, and all of her friends see. And Sheridan came out with a line from the back seat of the car that I will never forget. She said, Mother... I know you want everybody else to see me in this dress, but I want you to know there's only one person that I want to see me in this dress. And his name is Christopher Jordan Cooper. And I looked at Becky and I went, she got you. (laughs) You're done. I wouldn't say another word. She just nailed you to the wall. I do want you to know that before I tell stories like this on the family, I have to get, I get permission. I don't have to, but I get permission. (laughs) So yesterday I said to Becky, I said, Becky, I want to tell the story about the drive home from the bridal shop, and I said, you know, I I just need you to know if that's going to be okay. I said, is that okay? She said, what are you preaching on? (laughs) I'm preaching on 2 Chronicles. That story isn't in 2 Chronicles. Asa wins the battle. It wasn't God judging him, saying you won't win win the battle. But it wasn't like the Ethiopians, because he decided in this case that money was more his answer than prayer was. And all of a sudden, five years left in his reign, statue about to come down, it gets off course. And here's here's the struggle for me while I'm being personal and vulnerable with you today. I've been in ministry for four decades. Most of it's been in music ministry. I think of all the times when I knew we had special guests coming to Bethesda, special speaking guests, special singing guests. And how easy it was for me to think this way okay, so and so's coming. I need to go into the choir, into the files, and pull out that special song for the choir that I was really going to hit it. I mean, it's going to be, you know. I look at this song, remember when we sang this song? Oh, yeah, Revival broke out when we sang that song. I look at another song, yeah, that's a great song too. People really responded to that song. And thoughts can easily go through my head like, I don't need a home run, I need a grand slam here. And God goes, that's it. When you care more about what others think than what I think. You want to know how this thing gets off course? When you get eyes for anybody else, ears for anybody else other than him. Are you hearing me today at all? Am I making any sense to you? When you are more concerned about pressing others than you are about what I think, who cares if everybody else says yay and God says boo? Who cares what other th- others think? God, if we're 2015, give us eyes for only one. Give us ears to hear only one. The challenge of my own heart after four decades of ministry is that I end up in a situation where you can easily care about what others think about what we sing or what we preach more than what he thinks And God goes, that's how it starts. That's how it starts. When you start thinking this way instead of this way. Hear me today. This message is not only for just those starting out on their walk with Christ. This message is for those of you who have been on a spiritual journey for 25, 30, 40 years. What we're hearing today from the Word is not a message necessarily for those at the beginning, but for those who are just concerned if they're going to go back to crack cocaine or if they're going to go back to alcohol or they're going to end up in the clubs again next weekend. It's also for the person who sits in the choir for 25 years, who knows how to sing but forgot to worship. Some of us have become professional Christians. We know how to go through the motions. We know how to attend services. We know how to do all the right things. But where are you today? I'm not asking about your spiritual past as delightful, as glorious, as wonderful as it is, where are you today? What are you in risk of today, church, as you go into this new year? Have you lost that sense of desperation for God? Or do you still have alive within you that sense that says, God help us, God help me? That when we come to a place where we know how to sing or we think we know how to preach or we, we know how to do whatever it is, And God has called us to, but we lose that sense of absolute desperate dependency upon you. God, do not let us lose that posturing that says, God, if you don't show up, I got nothing. I got nothing. It can't just be that we call upon him when a million Ethiopians show up. It has to be, oh God, we're desperate for you every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. day." And I'm saying, oh, God, forgive us when we know how to listen to sermons, but we've forgotten how to hear God. You know how to judge the sermon today, whether you liked it or not, or whether it did anything for you, but we don't hear God. It doesn't matter what I say. It matters what he says. That's the only thing that ought to matter. God, help us as a church. We've learned how to sing, but we've forgotten how to touch your heart. We know how to touch instruments, but can we touch your heart? Forgive us for Asa thoughts. Lord, you know I'm praying for a miracle today in my own heart. Make me desperate again for you, Jesus. 25 years, 30 years, 40 years and the Lord, I still want to be desperate every day of my life and desperate for you. Forgive us, God, for winning battles but missing you and thinking we've gotten it all together, for thinking that it's money that we need when it's God that we need. Forgive us when you give us the resources that we've previously done without, but now we rely on those resources. We rely on the money, thinking that's going to buy our way out of this or get us out of that. God, you gave Asa resources not so he could buy off enemy kings. Even when you give us resources, help us to never lose sight of the simple fact that whatever we whatever we have, it still only comes from you. Let us not be guilty like Asa, that when you when God gives him what he needs, then he turns to rely upon that instead of relying upon the Lord. Forgive us, God. You've helped us for 30, 40, 50 years. Why wouldn't we think you would help us today? I want you to stand with me, church. Stand, please. I am going to open the altar. Pastors, if you want to come and be available to just simply touch someone, And I want to say this about the altar, church. You've seen with more frequency us asking you to respond to the word of the Lord. I believe that when the Holy Spirit has had the opportunity to communicate something to your heart, it's appropriate to ask you to respond, to step out at that moment. But I want to say this about it, because I was reminded of this recently. The altar is the beginning. It's not the end. It's the beginning. It's a matter that you are responding to the, the Lord saying, yes, there's something that I want to deal with in you, whatever it is, but it's the beginning. And then we walk out to work that out in our lives, whatever God is doing with us. You don't come to an altar and say, okay, I'm just going to do this and pray, walk out and do whatever else. That's not what the altar is for. It is a beginning. It is not an end. Let me be very careful about that. If the Lord is speaking to you, if there's been anything in your heart that has responded to this message, I want you to step out from where you are right now. We're just simply going to pray a prayer to get together before we, before we are dismissed. And you know what? I wish we had room for everybody up here. Who in this room doesn't want to be desperate for God today? This appeal to you is based upon the fact that we're facing a new year with great promise. And I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you. Don't just go charging into it status quo. Don't just go walking into it assuming everything's going to be as it always has been. Don't walk into this year without falling on your face before the Lord and saying, Lord, what is it that you have for me now? What is fresh for me today? What is it that's your word for me today? Thank you for the past. But what matters is what you have now. If there's anyone desperate for the Lord today, I want you to step out from where you are and let us just touch you in Jesus' name, and then we'll be dismissed.